0: Hey everyone, you are in for a treat this week. You're going to get to sit with me around a table in Alabama with two great dudes that I just can't wait for you to meet. In this conversation, you're going to hear the term DBS, Discovery Bible Study, DMM, Disciple Making Movement, and CPM, Church Planting Movement. I think that's all the background you'll need. Welcome to We Have Permission. A podcast designed to awaken and empower the ordinary person towards one extraordinary mission. Your permission starts now. Hey, welcome everyone to this week's episode of We Have Permission. Uh, This week we find ourselves in Dadeville, Alabama. Is that how I say, say it right, Randy?
1: Dadeville,
0: Alabama. Oh, that's cool. So I'm with Randy Travis. Oh, I'm with uh, Keith Travis and his dad, Randy, not to be mistaken, with a country singer. Uh, do, do you sing at all? I
2: don't, no. Okay. All right. My so, son does. Okay. He's Randy <laughs> Jr., too.
1: And I will for the right money. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well,
0: hey, you guys have got an incredible story that uh, I have just really grown to appreciate and love. Um, and I would really like to just, I don't know, get to get to have our listeners get to, to hear a little bit more about about your story. So um, maybe starting with, I think it might be good just to give us a little bit of background. Um, Randy, why don't we start with you? Um, how long have you been working in, in, um, in missions? Well, I was, I was raised as a
2: missionary kid when I was five years old. Four or five years old, my parents were missionaries in the Republic of Panama in the jungles. And then after that, they were missionaries in Mexico for a number of years. And then after that, missionaries in Belize, all church planting. And then uh, I got married, Then my wife and myself uh, went to language school. We were married in 1978, and in 1981 we went to language school. And uh, studied Spanish, and in 1982 we moved down to the country of Honduras, and we worked in church planting, okay, in a traditional sort of way for five years, okay, and then we came out back to the states and helped start a missionary training center uh, to train missionaries to go out into other countries, uh, okay. kind of based similar to what New Tribes missions boot camp. Was. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, I've heard mm-hmm. of New Tribes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, uh, uh, we decided to go back, and we received some training in disciple making movements. And at that time, it was called CPM. We received some training in 2006 from David Watson.
0: Okay, now before that, now that's where we really want to. I think we want to hone in on that, right? I mean, this is where a lot of the success from your ministry started. It was with the David Watson experience, correct?
2: Well, prior to that, we had planted about 25 churches in 25 years. Which, by and, most and, and standards, is a ridiculously good Yeah, good by, by most. Uh, that's that's a pretty good church growth in missions. Okay. And, you know, I planted churches, lots of churches, in a traditional sense. Right. Okay, and
0: built buildings and all that and kind that's, of stuff. And I think that's where most people, you know, that's when their mind goes. Yeah. Is that they think in that traditional sense. Right. Right.
2: And so I did that. That's what I did. All my life, that's what I saw my dad do. But when we got introduced to these new concepts and church planting movement, so when you add the word movement to it, then you're talking about another area of church planting. Uh You want something that reproduces very rapidly. Well, at that time, I didn't know anything about that sort of thing, and so my introduction to that was with David Watson in 2006. And I initially really resisted that. I-, I thought it couldn't be possible because at that time, they were reporting around 40,000 churches in 12 years. Oh, my. And you got to understand where I came from, 25 years about 25 churches. Right. <laughs> so I didn't really believe what he was saying. Right. <laughs> in 2006 and September of 2006.
0: And, and I'll interrupt you there. No, nor do many people probably even listening to this podcast believe that. Yeah. But now you are here to stand testimony of some pretty ridiculous numbers yourself. Yeah. Right?
2: I think it's way over 100,000 that the group that David Watson worked with had now. Okay. But in 2006, it, they were counting again and it was like 40,000. So I kept thinking in my mind, well, these have to be little bitty churches or something. Right, you know? right. And so <clears throat> anyway, through the through the training, we got to the point of, well, what's the average size of these churches? And he told us 64. Okay. Well, that kind of flabbergasted yeah, me. Yeah, that's a pretty good size. Yeah, 40,000 people, uh, forty thousand churches with average membership of 64 wow. people. So I finally, by the end of the week, by the end of his training, I finally came to the conclusion in my own mind, Either he's making up this wild story, or he knows something that I don't know. Yeah. And I decided he knows something that I don't know, and maybe I better learn it. Okay. So I paid more attention, and you know we talked more personal, and so forth. And then I told David by David Parrish by the end of the week, I said I believe I'd like to go to Honduras and
0: yeah,
2: and uh, start try and that and try this out, do a pilot project.
0: Now let me let me interrupt there for just a second, and let me just say. That Keith, I remember we talked before Right. and I believe that you and I, I, I believe you had said something of, of the effect that you didn't think it was going to work either.
1: No, no. Actually, uh, I was real skeptical of whether it was going to work or not yeah. because I had worked with my parents in Mexico and saw for 13 years how they worked so hard for 13 people yeah. to give their lives to the Lord.
0: So thirteen converts in thirteen years, approximately
1: roughly. around thirteen uh-huh. that ended up being faithful to the Lord. And then after they left Mexico, and I stayed on in Mexico, uh, you know, each week we would go out and do door door to door evangelism mm-hmm. and that that sort of thing, passing out tracks, thousands of tracks each week, and we wouldn't see in churches planted like that. So, yeah. so uh, when we went to Honduras and decided to give it a shot. I really didn't believe the first six months that I worked it. I really was not sold on it. But I told myself, well, I'll try six months of it, but I'm not going to be responsible for the results. You know, right. so if it's a flop, <laughs> it's not my fault. It's their fault because they told me to do it. You know. Right. But as what I found is, as I worked in the field, and as I began to be obedient to what I was supposed to be doing, I began to see the results happening. I begin to see people come to the Lord without me having to scare them to death, and you know, tell them they're going to go to hell and all this, and uh-huh. just depend on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to do its work. And I begin to see that happen, and that's what really convinced me that it was true, wow. that it could happen.
0: Wow! So you you saw that firsthand on your own, right. coming out of that. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious, um, what what circumstances? Um, Surrounded you during this um, time where your, your approach changed? Um, not just your mindset, but I mean, that, that, that had to change like your whole, your whole approach, right?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, you know, when I started off the ministry, I started in 2000, approximately 2001, I moved to Mexico and started ministry on my own. I had been previously to that. I'd been in the ministry with my parents ever since I was a kid. Uh Uh-huh. And they had given me opportunities to exercise different capacities of ministry. But in 2001, the Lord called me uh, to ministry to Mexico. And so I left everything and went to Mexico. And then after I got down there, my parents moved back to the States. So I was there alone for about five years. And in those five years that I was alone, uh, I tried different things that I had seen my parents do. Mm -hmm. Door-to-door evangelism, you know, passing out tracts and... You know, trying to reach people to the Lord through traditional means, and I worked amongst some of the indigenous people. Also, worked with people in the city and different different uh, levels of society. And what I found was that I was being frustr—I was feeling frustrated with myself, sure, because I had this passion to see people come to the Lord, mm-hmm. and I was doing everything in my everything that I could in my strength to see people come to the Lord, but yet what was happening is sometimes people would come to the Lord, but then what would happen after they came to the Lord? You know, uh-huh. we would try to connect them with a the local church. We'd try to get them plugged in. But, uh, you know, sometimes they would, it would end up being something good. They would like the church they were plugged into and they would continue on. And other times we didn't know what happened to them. And so I felt frustrated with that because after after so many years of working with my parents, 13 years in Mexico with, with them, and then another five years on my own and wondering where is the fruit mm-hmm. of my labor? Mm-hmm. You know, where is the evidence of what we've done? And and so and then and then, you know, the gospel that we share is supposed to be good news. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be the good news about how Jesus Christ came and died for us and has set us free from sin and from the bondage of sin. But in the traditional means, what I found myself feeling. Uh, In my heart was, it was almost like I was taking the good news and turning it into bad news because I was going, I was doing everything I could to scare people into heaven. Uh, You know, I would tell them about their sin, tell them how awful they were and that, you know, and then at the end I would inject a little bit of good news. But what the Lord began to show me is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I receive that gospel, it becomes... My gospel it becomes my good news. This is what God did for me this is the this is the transformation that God did in my life through Jesus Christ and then i have I have the ability to share that good news with other people and so there that's what the frustration was for me was sometimes even feeling guilty about the methods i were I was using uh-huh. to bring people to the Lord.
0: so what you're saying is is that you had. A true transformation and good news but you were trying to share that good news in a way that was man-generated exactly
1: it was birthed out of a lot of frustration too i mean yeah. cuz i know like in, in my instance uh when my parents left back and came back to the states and i was left in mexico alone i went around for the first 5 years you know really just struggling to make it in the ministry financially and in other every other area and I found myself in those five years feeling really frustrated not only with the tactics I was using to reach people to the Lord but with the lack of resources that I had to be able to be effective as a minister and so um, you know for the first five years it was extremely difficult um, you know just just doing the basics of ministry Mm -hmm. and so um, you know in those five years because of that hardship that I went through I spent I spent those five years really getting close to the Lord and praying and fasting. I'd go up to the mountain and with a friend of mine and we would you know fast for a couple weeks or something and pray and it was in that time of hardship and difficulty where I couldn't understand why my needs were not being met why uh, I felt the way I felt about the ministry and the place that God had called me and how how the results wouldn't uh, how how I felt about the results that I was getting in the ministry. It was in those that time of difficulty that God began to work in my heart uh, a willingness to change mm-hmm. my method, a willingness to have an open heart and open mind to something new. And it was while I was in a mountain one day praying with a friend of mine that God spoke to me for the second time that he ever spoke to me audibly. And he said to me, it's time to go to Honduras. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I prayed right there and I knew it was God because I heard him speak, but I said, Lord, I said, I need you to speak this to my wife, speak this to her heart so that she'll be willing to go too. So when I got back home that, that evening, uh, I knock, uh, I'm, I'm unlocking the door and I'm coming in the house and, and I hear my wife in there and she's just crying. And, and I thought, well, something's wrong, you know, so I go running in there and are you okay? And she says, I'm I'm okay, but I'm not okay. The Lord just told me it's time to go to Honduras, and I don't oh want to go. Gosh. So I actually <laughs> get on the phone to call Dad up. I had no idea that they had had this training in Dallas and that they were even considering going to Honduras. I had no idea at all. But God spoke to me. It was time for us to go. So I called Dad up, and and I was asking him if I could work with the churches that he had started you know, back in the 80s, would it be okay for me to go and visit those churches and encourage them or do whatever I can over there? And and he said, when I told that I was going to Honduras, he said, what are you going to Honduras for? What made you do that? And I thought, well, that's a strange question coming from dad, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, kind of find out, he said they were going to Honduras also. Wow. And so uh, that's how we kind of got connected in working in the CPM stuff. Uh, he says, well... You know, instead of working with the churches there, why don't you just work with us? So we, we went over there and started working. And that was my first exposure was the training that he gave that he gave yeah. us there. A- actually, I think we had a training uh, in Kentucky with David Parrish first, and David Watson was there, I think. And then after that, Dad developed the training material for the Hondurans, and that's where I really began to kind of understand yeah. some of the things that was going on. But I have to be honest, I struggled with a lot of the things that that were being taught a lot of the things that we were supposed to do I really struggled with it and what well, was specifically what was the hardest thing for you to well one was uh, you know getting the lost to evangelize the lost yeah you know that that's just against everything I've ever ever understood about scripture how do you how do the blind lead the blind I mean that's the thing that kept popping up in my mind but you know here the point where I the point where that particular doubt was banished from my mind forever was in 2009. We had a group come down from the States, uh, and we had set up—they uh, wanted to go out and visit some of the works, so we had set up uh, the schedule that we were going to take them out to a particular place in, in the Department of Intibucá, Honduras— we were going to go up this mountain, and we were going to let them see this one group. And we had already talked to these people about some foreigners coming in and everything, and they were okay with it. And they had been studying uh, the DBS for about on the on the actually it was on a tape recorder back then. They and had DBS means Discovery, Discovery Bible, Bible study. study, right? Okay. And th- we had them all recorded on tape back then, I believe it was. And and uh, so we had they had already been through through the through six months of them and we had actually started over because nobody got saved so we had started over and we were at that point i think in uh, maybe study number 9 the one that i can't remember which one it is but the one that deals with about isaiah 53 you know and it gives it basically gives the prophecy of jesus christ and how he suffered and all this and the whole time we had been there we had never once named the name of jesus we had never tried to scare them into being saved, or te- never told them they were sinners. We never tried to manipulate them into a decision. We did nothing but have a Bible study, and we prayed. Before- on the way to the Bible study, we would be praying that God, through His Holy Spirit, would reveal His Word and make it alive to them, and transform them through His Word and His Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And we we were in this uh, we were in this Bible study. And that guy had got excited. He had invited some of his family to show up to the Bible study. And there's probably about 20 people there. Normally we keep our studies between 6 and 10 people. But that particular day, because it was a special occasion, we had about 20. And in the middle of the Bible study, the head of the, the, the household, his name is Benigno, he gets up. And he says, today, God has revealed to me who this person is that we're reading about today in, in this Bible study. Hmm. And he says, God has revealed to me that it is the Son of God, and his name is Jesus. Now, we never said Jesus. And oh. he says, God revealed to me that this is the Son of God, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus, the Son of God, died for the sins of the world, and today I confess him as Lord of my life. And one by one, several people in that uh, DBS that day Begin to make that confession of faith, wow. and that was the first church that was started uh, through the that, that we're uh, that, made, you, that, we, that you were working that with that we were working with. Yeah, that was the first church that was started using a disciple making movement or CPM principles. And that day, I'll never forget when when me and my work partner Daniel uh, Daniel's one of the guys on our team we were walking down the mountain in total disbelief. We were, if I could tell you the feelings that I felt at that moment, I felt ashamed. I felt rebuked by the Holy Spirit. Mm. I felt uh, like like I had been almost walking in disobedience to what God really wanted me to do. And I felt in awe of the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And if I just put my trust in the Holy Spirit and the Word... That God's word and His Holy Spirit is all that we need for someone to come to the knowledge of Christ, and I realized right then and there how powerful the gospel really is. Mm. Because God's God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't need it doesn't need me to color it or to make it more attractive or to make it more uh, to, to have more uh, relevant, uh, relevant yeah. or effective. It's it's so powerful in itself. Yeah. And a lot of times we just have to get out of the way. And and our job is to take the seed to the ground, which is the Word of God. But we have to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God do His work yeah. in their life. And that was the day that I was 100% convinced. And every doubt that I ever had about church planting movements or, principle, or its principles or, or the blind leading the blind and all this, it just went out the window at that point. Yeah. And I've been completely so ever since Dude, that is, because I saw the power of God. That's awesome. Now,
0: I've done a little bit on a previous episode. We've talked a little bit about Discovery Bible Study. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned um, briefly what that is. So our listeners have somewhat of an idea. Um, but could, could you guys maybe just speak to I'll, I'll, I'll go with you first, Randy. Okay. Um, what, what do you feel is so powerful about this Discovery Bible Study approach? Uh, what I think is,
2: makes it very powerful is that it, it gives the, because I'm speaking now from the comments that the people themselves, where we started DBSs would say, Mm -hmm. they would tell us that we like these studies because we get to participate. Mm -hmm. There's no teacher format. There's not a teacher-student format. There's only a facilitator, and this facilitator is just helping the group through the Bible study to read the passage, and everybody gets to make comments about it. And so that makes it very powerful because it holds the interest of the group. They get to participate, and I've I've had the Hondurans say, Say on several occasions, they really like these Bible studies because they get to participate. They're not just sitting there listening to a monologue, but they actually get to hear the Word of God right. and participate in, in in trying to discover what the Word of God is
0: saying. It sounds a little bit like me at church. Yeah, I, I kind of like participating yeah. a little <laughs> bit too. That's good. Right. And you know, right.
1: not not to say that that when when a church when these DBS has become churches, it doesn't mean that they're never going to have the teaching. For no, them. no, no, but. In the process of evangelizing and discipling them to evangelism, not, this is the process we okay, You okay. do
2: not want to establish a teaching process because here, here's the other the other thing about DBS Bible studies as opposed to a teaching format. Yeah. Anytime you, you have a Bible teacher that's leading a Bible study, uh-huh. you've set up a figure of authority. Right. Even unconsciously. Right. Without even thinking about it, the group will look to that person to give all the answers. Well, here's the, the what makes the DBS powerful, is that the group has to discover what God is saying, not what the not what a teacher's telling them, uh-huh. but they got to discover what God is saying. So the teacher, which isn't really a teacher, he's a facilitator, but he may have a teaching ministry, mm-hmm. like when we first went out to start DBSs, Keith and myself. Both went into the field ourselves to start. we went, we had to see boots on the ground what it was like in the field to start dBS Bible studies. Well, I'm a Bible teacher by by gifting. yeah, well, it took all I could do to bite my tongue and keep my oh, mouth I shut. I bet yeah I mean, that's a, that's the hardest part right? yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> tough, you know I mean, you know the answers. Yeah. and you want to tell the group the answers but you don't dare do it because you destroy the whole process yeah. and here's what happens if you ever set up a teacher-student model or a preacher-listener model mm-hmm. then what happens is you immediately cut the rapid multiplication DBS's set an environment in play where rapid multiplication can take place because nobody gets the concept that you have to be a bible teacher to facilitate a dbs right and you don't even have to have training of you don't have to be trained in in evangelism all you got to do is whatever you you're actually doing in your own dbs you just go out and repeat that i had bible studies in honduras in homes in 1980 Did i see a movement no i didn't why because we used a teacher model in other words we didn't know that we were doing that but that's what we were doing we were People that were qualified to teach and lead a Bible study, they had to be trained first on how to do it, and then they were sent out. And so they became the teachers to the group, and the group didn't discover what God's Word said. They were taught what God's Word said. Right. And so that cuts multiplication out because then when you try to prod the group to go out and start more groups, they say, well, we're not qualified.
0: So you get, I mean, that's, that's the problem here in the States. Like I, I, have you know, I've been in campus ministry my whole life and the mm -hmm. students, you say, Hey, it's, it's your turn to go lead something. And they uh, get on their heels and their eyes get big and they say, I don't have a Bible college degree. I can't lead that. Right. I mean, that's sort of the response typically here in the States.
2: And can you imagine if that's happening on campus? Can you imagine in a semi-literate third world country where maybe some of them can't even read? or they've had a second-grade education, yeah. and then you're trying to encourage them to go out and start more DBSs. And now,
0: speak to that, because a lot of the people in Honduras that you're targeting can't read, correct? It's an illiterate crowd.
2: When we first went down there, the, the process we had to go through was a very trying time, because I drew up an initial plan in 2006 after listening to David Watson his training, yeah. which, he, which was done in India. He, he implemented uh CPM in India. Yeah. Well, uh I drew up a plan and presented it to our mission board. So let me say this: anybody going to do this, you need to come up with some kind of plan first. Okay. Don't just shoot in the dark. Come up with some kind of plan that'll keep you on track. Okay.
1: Come up uh, with about four of them. Though. Yeah, actually, we did. We did. ABCD we, 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 we had four plans.
2: <laughs> and the first one failed the second one failed the third one failed and the fourth one thank goodness it worked <laughs> okay. so we actually drew up and, but I had one major plan and, uh, and it kind of kept us on track because it took us two years from the time I trained the group once I got down to Honduras and I hand picked team brought them over it took two months of training uh, in these concepts because they were of the traditional mindset too yeah. Okay. They had come out of a traditional mindset. They had came out of the churches that we planted in the 1980s. Yeah. That the organization gave me these workers
0: yeah. to train. No, let, let me just let me just ask cuz I think this is really important. Now, you just said that you had a DBS training that you had received. You knew that this was these were the principles that you were going to apply. Mm-hmm. And you said that it's important to have four or have, have a number of game plan, have a game plan at least. And mm-hmm. you had three or four of those game plans mm-hmm. and some of them didn't work. Mm-hmm. Can, can you don't go into great detail, but can you just roughly tell me what didn't work about your first couple? Like what, what, what was it about plan number one that did not work?
2: Okay. Plan number one, I had it planned out that so many people would go out and start, start so many DBS studies. Uh, And I had this all drawn out, where they would plan each each person would start so many, and then when that became a church, they would start so many, and and so all it was
0: planned to just follow that type of a sequence. So you basically wrote it out on paper, and I know for sure whenever I've written something on paper, it's sure not to work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I don't know if that's what you're saying or not. Yeah,
2: it didn't work out that way. Well, real life never works out the way that you planets right. you know right but the thing about it is it did keep us on track yeah it helped to give us some rails to run on Yep, kept us on track yep. and when things didn't work out after two months of training in the principles which was basically deprogramming the hondurans okay i had to deprogram them from their way of looking at it right uh, and, and of course i was learning too at the same time right uh Because I hadn't even implemented it Yeah, this is your
0: first go-around too, right? I I had never implemented it. Right.
2: Never started a DBS myself. Right. I was training them in the principles. This was one failure after another. The the brothers, we had 13 Honduran men, 300 women, and three kids that formed the team. Okay. They all lived in one big house, two-story house, where I trained them downstairs in the In the living room.
1: That's one thing we learned. That's not a good idea. And that was a good, not a good idea to put
2: (laughs) (laughs) sixteen adults in one house. Okay, over a period of several months, we kept them there over a year, and so um, so we learned from that process too. But after the initial two months of training, we sent them out in the field to try to implement it. Yeah. So they would go out and they would try to find people peace. They would try to start BBSs. And they would come back and they'd say, this doesn't work. This isn't working. And so we can't find people a peace. This is not working. So then uh, we would sit back down at the table and we'd go to the drawing board and say, well, what can we do different? Yeah. What do you guys think that we can do different? And uh, we would pray and we'd ask the Lord to help us. And this went on for several months. This actually went on for two years. It was just miss and go, up and down, try this in the field, didn't work. Very discouraging. Yeah, it didn't work. Didn't work. That we finally was at the point of almost giving up, but I didn't want to give up, and I really didn't want to. But uh, you know, a lot of resources were going into this project. Sure, and we. I didn't want to just keep wasting resources if it was if, if it was not going to work. Well, in two thousand and eight. Now, remind you, we started the training two thousand and eight in 2008. In, two, in the December of two thousand eight. David Watson and Paul Watson came down to assess what we were doing and to give us some more training. And they immediately put their finger on some things that we were doing totally wrong that we thought we were doing right. Which was? Uh, one One thing I thought that you start these DBSs and then you pull them together and you form this local church, and that's how you get local churches started. They said, no, 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 that's not how you do it. When a DBS gets... I mean, that, that can happen later on. But if you just go out and start DBSs and grow the DBS into a church, then you kill the multiplication. Okay. So what you have to do is you want to start DBSs and continue starting DBSs. And you want everybody in those DBSs to start DBSs. So if you've got a DBS going and somebody that's a member of that DBS says, you know, I was telling my uncle about these Bible studies and he likes the idea and he would like to come join the bible study. You tell him no, he can't do that.
0: But we'll go to you.
2: But but you can take you, yeah, you can you start can a bible study him. with him. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so we'll go with you and help you the first time or the first couple of times. Yeah. But you're actually going to start
0: facilitating it from the very beginning. Now, see, that is so foreign. I, I was visiting a campus here in the States that was doing a very similar thing, mm-hmm. trained in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting in, listening, learning, and um, I, I was just sitting in on one of these DBSs. And uh, one of the questions that they would, as a follow-up question to the following week was, hey, did you get to share this with anyone Right. from last week? Mm-hmm. And these two kids said, Yeah. My two roommates, they're mm-hmm. really excited and they want to come mm-hmm. next week. That's right. And I was all excited about that. And then I was so surprised, just like you just said, mm-hmm. the leader said, no, you can't come. But we'll help you get something started in your dorm. And I was like, okay, this is different. This is different.
2: So you have to do that or, or you stop the multiplication process. Yeah,
0: I can see that.
2: And uh, and you'll grow a, See, I thought you had to grow a DBS until it got big enough to be a church. Sure. Well, David and Paul Watson straightened us out on that. And then they straightened us out on some other issues, uh, too, that, that was hindering. And uh,
1: There was quite a bit of things that had to be changed, so much so mm-hmm. that all of our team, except for three, left. All, all of them left. And left. They all. Oh. So well, know. some of them I had to
2: let go, and then some of them just left. We ended up with, back down to three Hondurans Keith and his wife, myself and my wife. And we just plugged along with it and made the adaptations, change, made the changes what we had to make. And then and then in it was shortly after that I was I was trying to figure out how can we adapt this for Honduras for semi literate society in these villages where some people can't even read and some can barely read and some or just have a very limited education how can we adapt this and at the same time keep the multiplication factor in it right how can we do that and so i was on the phone one day with paul watson and paul told me he said well you know dad david watson used to do some of the dbs's he would use the recorded bible Hmm. uh, faith comes by hearing or something like it i forget the name of it but he would use a recorded bible on some of the dbs's over in india but it would be the recorded Bible. The group would listen to the Bible, and then the facilitator would ask the questions. Uh-huh. Okay, yep. And so David uh, Paul said, well, why don't you try that, or why don't you try doing it orally? Just go out and do the whole complete thing orally. Yeah. Okay, well, that wouldn't work either because the Hondurans didn't feel like they were up to being going right. out and doing something worldly
0: and, and remembering it all and remembering it all, right? So
2: that didn't work either. So I was mulling over one day. I was mulling over, how can we, what can we do to change this and to adapt this? Now, I remember we were about uh, a year into it, maybe,
0: yeah,
2: very little results. and uh, And all of a sudden, and I believe to this day, God put it in my heart. All of a sudden, the idea just dropped into me. Record the whole thing. Huh.
1: I was actually I was actually in my truck driving back from Okwutafeki, which is about two and a half to three hours away from where our base was, and I was with Daniel, when Dad calls me and tells me that he's wanting to record these DBSs on tape. And I remember the whole way back, I was in complete disagreement. Mm-hmm. Couldn't <laughs> yeah. agree with that. No, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, no. I just no, like how hey, you're fine. the you're the last one to come <laughs> you on. Know what, really. If I ever disagree with something, <laughs> it's probably the right thing to do. All
0: right, here's where I can't help myself, and I just have to tease Keith a bit. Uh, I totally derail us for entirely too much time, so let me move us forward a bit in our conversation.
2: He bought thousands of cassette tapes, <laughs> boxes and boxes of them, and we asked people to donate for. Tape players, and we went out and bought tape players in Honduras. Uh-huh. We just went to places, we bought all these tape players and thousands of tapes. We got people to donate. The poor was guy. du- the little tape. guys in
1: the market, they were happy to see us every time. Yeah, <laughs> we, we,
2: we got people to donate tape duplicators from the U.S. that they no longer use because people were using CDs and stuff. And our team sat down and for what one or two weeks, maybe two weeks oh, or so. weeks on, yeah. maybe I, weeks, I forget now. Weeks. But we just recorded thousands and thousands and thousands of tapes. We had a little assembly line going. Yeah, we had assembly line going. We recorded thousands and thousands of tapes. Then I trained them how to use those tapes to, to facilitate a DBS. Okay. And how to handle the tape recorder and how to stop it and when to let the group speak and make their comments. And so we sent them out immediately. I mean, like from night to day, immediately it took off. Wow. People wanted those tape players. They wanted the set of the cassettes. They wanted to go out and start DBSs with their friends. They weren't even Christians. And they
1: wanted to do it. Wow. And it was in that period of time where I began to become a believer in this whole thing. Because, yeah, all of a sudden, me and Daniel, we were visiting three and four groups every day, seven days a week. Wow. So, you know... We was working all day long, up into sometimes late at night. You know. Yeah. Uh, by the time we one one particular place we had to drive about four hours on a motorcycle just to get there, and another four hours back. Then you had to do three or four DBSs while you was there. So we'd get back at twelve or one in the morning. Just better technology. Yeah. Right? And this is better, and this has been
2: going on now for ten years or so, and we've been using this, and uh, we've only found that I know of, to my knowledge, two people that we couldn't train to use it one guy got mad put it on the ground got a big rock smashed it (laughs) because he couldn't learn how to use it okay
1: (laughs) but it everybody we the, the other guy got wet in other words don't give him an iPhone <laughs> yeah right the other guy
2: got wet and he got home and put it too close to the fire where his wife cooks and
0: melts and that was the only it. two bad experiences <laughs> yeah that's so.
2: only too bad abusing this thing so tell me
0: tell me, where are we at now what kind of what kind of uh, success rate so, right? or so what, we started kind of done we, with it? we
2: started and, and it grow, and it grew and grew and we continued to do more trainings and more people started going uh, out and starting DBSs and uh I never was successful in deprogramming the mission I started in the 80s to go out and do it. I could not do a transformation of their worldview of how ministry is done. I could not do that. I could not get through to them.
0: Even as the founder.
2: Even, I couldn't couldn't do it. They just couldn't see it. And they said it won't work here. And it was working all around them. But they said it won't work. For them, it wouldn't work. They, they couldn't make that It leap. was working in their city. It, it was, was working, working in, in their, their city. State. It was working in their villages in their around there. But they said it won't work. It won't work here. We can't do it. Yeah. But it was working. Well, anyway, it gradually grew and it grew and it grew. And, uh, and it just kept growing exponentially. So we tried. We tracked everything. We tracked every DBS group. We tracked uh, how many people were in the group, how many... Uh, were saved how many have been baptized and if a person was already a christian when they decided to come into the group then we put that down that they were a christian already if they were baptized we put that down but our whole total and focus was on the lost so we really didn't want saved people we've had more trouble with saved people it became a part of a dbs because they want to teach the rest of the people. Right. We actually, when, we, when <laughs> the we old some,
1: model slips in. Right? That's right. When yeah. we do start a DBS and there's a believer in there, we so a lot of times we kindly invite them to leave. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we invite you. We or we, uh, encourage them to go start their own DBS yeah, somewhere. Yeah. 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 That's the best thing to do is just yeah. hey, we'll help you start your own little work. You know. Yeah. That, that, Teaching in church building. We try. We, we we try to we try and I, I know it sounds strange, but. Because we're church planners, but we try to keep these DBS groups, DBS groups, as long as we can. Mm -hmm. We try to keep teachers, the teacher format out of of there, Mm -hmm. just a strategy person in there, or I mean, a facilitator person in there facilitating the Bible study. We try to keep it as simple as possible, as long as possible. But what happens is there comes a point where the people, when they come to the Lord, and they all of a sudden realize that they need to be more organized. So once they come to that point where they're wanting to be organized, then yeah. that's where we encourage them to and we help them to develop church. But up to that point, we never mention organization or becoming a church or building a building or anything. And if they want to build a building, then they have to build their own building. Yeah. And we don't discourage them from building a building. If they want to, then we encourage them, but we don't we don't fund anyone.
0: So something that I've been... Uh, teaching as I've been doing some trainings recently is that church really has three basic parts. If you boil everything church does, it really boils down to three basic things and that would be worship and that would be community and that would be mission. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that when you start with worship, which would be a building, the other two are really hard to do. That's right. But if you start with community, mm-hmm. you naturally go to worship, but you still have a hard time with mission. Mm-hmm. When what you guys are saying, I think is to what my what my point was, is that if you start with mission, mm-hmm. it will become worship. You you're, you're saying you're you're not even trying to get to to worship, but they're gonna to want to organize themselves. That's the natural
1: trend. That's the natural That's okay. That. And in movements, if if you want it to be sustainable, you have to have something in place when it comes to that point for yeah. each stage of it we evangelize them to conversion mm-hmm. then we evangelize them in second level studies and as this, we disciple them into a deeper walk with the lord and usually by the end of that year of bible studies a lot of those people are ready for, for it, some sort of a church whether it be under a tree whether it be yeah. in a home whether it be a building, in a building in a, building. a small building or a big building. Uh, and as they progress, then we have to have something in place to help them at that point. We, sure. never, we never encourage them to build a building until they have the idea of building a building. Then we say, okay, you can do it. And, you
0: can do it. And yet you do not discourage them meeting and becoming a church. no, oh, no, 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 no. That's, no, no, a, no, no, that's, no, that's natural, really what we want. That's right. a natural We want natural. that.
1: We, yeah. we want that, yeah. but we, we want to prolong it as long as possible because yeah. we know I that the moment that. they become a church... The moment they become formal, the movement begins to dissipate in their oh, area. Yeah. And so what we do is we encourage them, once they come to that point where they want to be formal, want to have a building, or, or, or want to have a, a formal, like a preacher and you know music and that kind of thing, and offering and all this, we encourage them, but then we have to really, really emphasize the part of, okay, it's okay for you to meet on Sunday, but don't forget about Meeting on Wednesday in your DVS, and don't forget about taking your taking the gospel to other people, taking this uh, Bible study to other people. And you know, there's other people that have the need, but but naturally, as as they become more formal, the movement in their area begins to die down. If you talk
2: about starting with mission, there's a biblical basis for that. If you remember when Jesus went out and picked his disciples, Uh you know he walks by and he sees Peter fishing. He says, "Come and follow me, and I will make you." Become Fish. fishers of men, okay? Uh, that was missional, okay? Jesus didn't say, fall down and repent of your sins. Yep. He didn't say, he, at that point, didn't even say get born again. He just said, come and follow me and I will make you yep. become a fisher of men. In other words, he he trained Peter in minimal obedience before Peter was ever born again. Right. Okay, he did that with his other disciples. And if you skip forward a few chapters, he all of a sudden sends them out.
0: Right,
2: we have no record that they were actually born again at that point. Right, but he sends them out on a mission. Right. Okay, and, and 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 they begin and they learn by doing, and then they become convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, and then of course they see the miracles and everything taking place. So, missional, yes, you have to have movement. You have to put the focus on missional, especially at the
0: very beginning. I still haven't heard any numbers.
2: Oh well, we'll, we'll get to that, ready. but.
0: Uh, (laughs) Not that I care a whole lot, but I do think our listeners want to know, well, wildfire, what's that mean? You know, you you guys have had like some...
1: One of the funniest things that I hear uh, from people is, you know, because people just don't believe. It's hard to believe. I I have to be honest with you, Pete. When I sit at my computer every three months and I get those reports, it it literally takes me about a month, month and a half to go through the reports and verify everything to the best of my knowledge because... I'm getting reports from the field, from the from the seven guys that's on the field. They're getting reports from the people that report to them. Those people are getting reports from the people that report to them and so forth. And so when I get those reports in, I have to go through these reports, and I have to verify to the best of my ability that everything that's on that report is in fact there because they're. some yeah. things get repeated some things get repeated oh sure, yeah. sure. so you, you have, have to identify make type those type things so you know the report's not 100% accurate yeah. but you know according to the reports that we're getting on the field we, you know I, I have to take that and I have to I have to break it down and I have to look at it and then I take that and I decide from there what I'm going to do with, the, with those numbers and the, the funny thing I you know every quarter when I get those reports I just sit there in disbelief Even though I was there, and even though I go there and I see these periodically, I see these groups starting and multiplying, becoming churches and all this, there's still the the tendency to just sit there and go, this ain't even possible. I mean, it's just happening too fast. I mean, when you have 4,000 people come to the Lord in the last three months, 4,018 were baptized in the last three months, it just... You, you. I mean, after you've been a missionary kid all your life, yeah. and a third-generation missionary, it just looks so impossible. And it, and to, to someone who's never had that kind of influence in the CPM world, right? It would be incredible, actually incredible. And uh, so, we well, have
2: yeah, missionary so, friends is still doing traditional missions, and if I talk to it about about them, they don't believe it. So here's the, right. so, oh, yeah, right. so here's
1: the funny thing that we always get, you know, people are always harping about, well the numbers don't matter. You yeah. know, who cares about the numbers the number Thank and, God and somebody honestly you know, we don't <laughs> jump up, up and we don't jump up and down about the numbers either because we know that without the power of the Holy Spirit and without the power of the word, none of this would happen. Right. And we're so we're one hundred percent dependent on the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do that work and that's what's brought the fruit. So it's not really, I mean, we have our part and God partnership, God has a partnership with man and he chooses to work that way for some reason, but really the results are his results. And so, you know, even though, even though we don't jump up and down so much about the numbers, it does, you can't help but feel a little excited about it. I mean, you got to look at, you got to, you got to look at the fact that there's a whole book in the Bible called numbers. numbers you know <laughs> yeah. so apparently yeah. numbers must be important to god say so, so god you know. somebody had the presence of mind to count the new disciples on the day of pentecost but, but you know here's here's the struggle yeah there are people who have worked so hard in their areas of ministry and only seen 13 people come to the lord right, right. in I've mexico spend 12 years and see you 13 know or only there. seen right. one person or never saw anyone yeah. come to the lord and yeah. so the tendency is we, we, we associate success or numbers with success. We connect that. But see, in our minds, in, in, in the worldly way of seeing things, we connect that as, well, you're successful if you have big numbers. But what the Lord has showed us through this movement stuff is numbers is not the measure of success. Amen. The measure of success is what are you doing with what God has called you to do are you in the place that God has called you to be, and are you doing what God has called you to do? And if you're doing that, you're successful, whether you have zero converts or you have a thousand converts or you have a hundred thousand converts.
0: One last question: um, I can't. Uh, one, one of the the most common questions I like to ask at the end of every one of these episodes is, mm-hmm. "What advice would you give to the ordinary person who's listening to this?"
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I think that you have to you have to learn you have to be willing to fail Mm -hmm. because uh, through the process of learning church planning movement and and everything and adapting it to our situation we failed so many times and you have to learn to be humble and to be honest with yourself and to be critical with yourself but at the same time not discourage yourself but you need to learn to be critical and look at your Look at what you're doing and evaluate it and say, is this really getting the results that I think I need to see? And is there something that I need to change? Am I am I getting in the way of what God's wanting to do? Um, and, the, and then be persistent. We have to be persistent. If you're not a persistent person, if you don't have a persistent personality, you'll never see a movement. Mm-hmm. Because the enemy will come at you, the enemy will will get you sidetracked with with people who you think or have a lot of potential you think are really gonna be leaders in a movement, and you spend so much time that you that you are distracted actually from from what you're really supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and uh the other thing is I think that probably more important than anything is what paul said in In 2 Corinthians 2, he says, And my speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Mm -hmm. And if we can't expect to have a movement if we don't walk in the power of God. If we don't walk under the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit. If we want to have a movement, then the first place we have to start is right here in our hearts. We have to allow God to move in our hearts. Because as he moves in our hearts and the gospel becomes real to us, it, it's, it's, all, it's all of a sudden not a story about what God did for someone else. It's a story about what God has done for me and what he's doing yeah. now every day in my life. And as you go out, uh, you have a new testimony to share every day because God is actively at work in you.
0: Well, I sure do hope that today's episode was as encouraging to you as it was to me. Appreciate y'all praying that something miraculous will grow in your corner of the world. Until next time, peace.